But today, as Christina mentioned, we are diving into the movie Elf. Uh, and uh, if you have not watched Elf, do yourself a favor. Do your soul a favor, because uh, you'll laugh. Um, I have already watched it this season, yes. Um, and it's a great movie. And to give some context, and here's why we're kind of going to touch on this, and I'll also mention why we're going to touch on the passage we are. Because in the movie, Buddy the Elf, uh, he was a human raised in an elf world. And really in the, in the movie, you see this tension where he really didn't fit in with the elves, but he really didn't fit in with, with, with humans either when he got involved in uh, to humans' lives. And what I've found is sometimes in our life, um, we can sometimes, maybe you've been there, be in environments. Maybe it's the family you were raised in. Maybe it's the school you attended. Maybe it's your workplace right now where you feel like you don't completely fit in. Have you ever felt like, felt like a misfit a little bit? Like you felt like I'm a little different than some of the people around me. And here's my encouragement to you um, as we look to the scriptures today. Um, if you have ever felt like there's certain environments where I don't fit in, let me help you. You were not created to fit in. Here's why. Here's why. Hold on. And then you can clap. Hold on. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. We know this. Your fingerprints are unique. You were, you, the, the, nobody else has your same fingerprints. You are uniquely created in your mother's womb by God himself. Therefore, listen, you cannot, not only do you not fit in, you actually cannot fit in to anyone else's mold because you are uniquely created as yourself. And that's what we're talking about today. So if you don't ever, if you feel like there are some environments I don't fit in, welcome to the club. You're not supposed to fit in. You're supposed to be who God created you to be. And we're going to see how the uniqueness of Buddy the Elf actually led to positive change. And we're going to look in scripture today at somebody who did not fit in. A man named Moses. Moses was a Hebrew raised by Egyptians. So he did not feel like he fit in with the Hebrews. He didn't feel like he fit in with the Egyptians. You see the similarities? Come on. See, Buddy the Elf is all about Moses. You didn't know that. Now you do. Come on, somebody. That was their inspiration. Just ask Will Ferrell. But we're going to look in the, in the scriptures uh, at the life of, of Moses and, and draw some principles that we can apply for our own life. And here's my hope today, that you feel affirmed in who God's created you to be. Um, that you feel, and here's, let me just share this. I think it's the ploy of the enemy to cause us to feel like our differences are deficits. But let me say this. Your differences is actually, they're actually your differential advantage. That actually God has created you different because that's your unique contribution to the world. And I hope you feel affirmed in that today as we look to the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. There's power in your word. That as we open it up, God, that, um, Lord, we just, we just ready ourselves. We posture ourselves, our hearts and our spirits to receive from you today. And uh, we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said. Amen. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Uh, to give a little bit of context, if you're um, uh, to know where we are in the narrative of Scripture. Exodus 3, Moses is serving his father-in-law as a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a desert. And God appears to him in the burning bush. Many of you know that story. Um, if you don't, read it in Exodus 3. 
And Exodus 4 sort of carries on this conversation between the Lord and Moses. So we're kind of picking up mid-conversation, uh, kind of entering mid-movie, so to speak. Um, but uh, just wanted to give you context of where we are. So Moses is responding to the Lord because God is calling Moses on the backside of the desert, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. Now I want you to go and I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt and lead them into freedom. And Moses says to him, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord then said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and it became a snake. He ran from it. The Lord then said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand, took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to you. Lord then said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside into his cloak. When he took it out, his skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Now put your hand back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. When he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. The Lord then said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. If they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never seen, been eloquent, either in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord then said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf from you? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So he has this exchange where God is calling Moses to, to step into his calling. And Moses having this exchange, really giving him some reasons on why he cannot do what God's asking him to do. Uh, and what I want to share with you is, as before we dive in, is a clip from the movie Elf. If you've watched the, the movie, it's kind of towards the beginning of the movie uh, where uh, he is living in Elf world. And uh, while he's there, there's a moment where he sort of comes this reality that he's not like everyone else around him. Uh, so before we dive back into the scriptures, why don't you turn your attention to the screen for this clip? Anyway, just feel for Buddy the Elf right now. Come on. Have an empathetic moment for him. Uh, he felt like a cotton-headed ninny muggins. I don't know if I just cursed from stage. If I did, I apologize. But come on, he felt like an outcast. He felt different. And what I love with this moment is he's, he's coming to grips with how he's different. But even their attempts, though, there's truth in it as they're calling out. Like, well, here's the things that you can do that are unique to you. Uh, and here's what I want to share with you from the scriptures and from the passage of Moses uh, that we see not only in the life of Buddy the Elf, uh, but we see in the life of Moses. And I want you to take hold of this truth in your own life is that God has uniquely gifted you. God has uniquely gifted us. Uh, the reason, as I said earlier, you cannot fit in is because there is no one else on this earth like you. Uh, you cannot fit into anyone else's mold, nor can they fit into your mold. 
Uh, and in this scripture, uh, in Exodus 4.1, the first thing Moses does is he gives God reasons uh, why what God is asking him to do, why it might not work. He's saying, well, what, what will they think? And here's what happened. Mo- Moses, I want you to hear this, lean into this. Moses is putting more weight on what other people will think than what God has said. And we are all susceptible in this life to put more weight on what other people are going to think about us than what God's already said about us. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, speaking about being overly concerned with what people think. It talks about the fear of man or fearing people. It says this, that fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. That being overly concerned with what are they going to think about me? What if they don't accept me? What if they reject me? But trusting in God, trusting in who God has made you to be leads to safety. I remember one of the moments of my life, there's been a number, where I felt different. And see, what the enemy would love to convince you of is that your differences are deficits, but they are your differential advantage. And, and I remember this moment where I was uh, working as a psychologist. If you've been around Catalyst, you know I've shared before. Before coming into church world, I worked as a child psychologist in schools. And when I was uh, working, I was most of the psychologists in my school division, and most school psychologists, the majority of their work is they do uh, psychological assessments. Uh, so many of them will do 70, 80, 90 a year. Uh, they're pretty intensive. And that was like one of the things about my role I did not actually enjoy. Like I was sort of a a misfit in that way. I I stood out. Like most loved the assessments. I didn't like it as much. What I did love was what was called direct intervention. It was counseling and facilitating programs that helped improve students' mental health. Like I loved those things. So I I felt like a misfit for my first year. But I had a fantastic supervisor who saw how I was uniquely gifted, uniquely wired, and she also saw a need in the school division. There was an alternative school. Uh, It was for students who were either expelled from their zoned school or they committed a violent crime. And the school, their zoned school says you can no longer attend here because of your assault and battery or your weapons possession. So this school was for those students. And they had a need in those schools because there was these students going in there with some problems. And many of them came from very difficult backgrounds. And they were trying to help them to kind of turn back around to go back into their zone school. So what she did, she saw my unique difference. And she actually saw it as an advantage for the school division. She created me a position in this alternative school to actually provide direct support for these students. And I thank God for her because in that moment, what I could have easily thought as a deficit became my differential advantage. Can I tell you, your difference is not a deficit. It is a differential advantage that your unique giftedness is God's gift through you to the world. But if you're like me and all of us, we can get caught up sometimes in comparison in fact, Paul said this it's in, in, the, in 2 Corinthians. What was happening was the Corinthians were comparing Paul to other church leaders. Okay, don't compare me to other pastors, okay? So, come on, somebody. This is a word for you, all right? Just kidding, but not really. Uh, verse 12, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Paul just eloquently said, 
Stop acting foolish. Come on, somebody. He says, do not compare yourselves. That comparing yourselves with others is not wise. When you compare yourself to someone else, you, you, it, is, it is not wise. And here's what I found. That when you compare yourselves to somebody else, it can actually inhibit you walking in your calling, running your race. Think about it in sports. A sprinter does not compare themselves with a marathon runner, right? That's not wise. One's a sprinter, one's a marathon runner. Can I tell you, God has uniquely gifted you and created you. Therefore, you are different than your coworkers. You are different than your, the students you're in your program with. Therefore, do not compare yourselves amongst yourselves because you are called to run a different race. That's what Paul's saying. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Anybody else? Like, I love it because I can stay connected to my friends around the world. But if I'm honest, I sometimes, I don't know if anybody else in the room has this problem, that I sometimes can begin to compare my everyday life with somebody else's highlight reel. Anybody else? And, and, and we all know it, right? Like, no one posts their bad days on social media. Come on, somebody, right? It's like, life is wonderful, it's great. And like, you're like, sitting here with your normal everyday life, being like, my life's not that great. And here's what I have found. When I get caught up in comparison, it always leads to discontentment. And the Bible says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Therefore, comparison leads to discontentment. And discontentment, I believe, is a scheme of the enemy. He wants you to become so discontented with yourself so you do not embrace your unique calling and run your race so he renders you ineffective for the work of God on the earth. That he gets you trying to be a sprinter running a marathon race when you were called to be a sprinter. You were called to be you. No one has your design. No one has your unique fingerprint. No one has your unique calling. Do not compare yourself to someone else's race, to someone else's gifting, to someone else's calling. Run your race. Be who God has created you to be. There's nobody else like you. Can I say this? If the world did not need you, God would not have created you. You are your best version of yourself. And you are a terrible version of anyone else. Be encouraged. You are terrible at trying to be somebody else. Man, but nobody can be who you are. And God sent you to the world for 2022 on November 20th because there is a reason he has you on this earth. To raise those kids, to do that job, to fulfill that calling, to fulfill your purpose. And nobody else can do what he created you to do. So you be you. And listen, let me say this. Not everyone will be for you. Because those who are stuck in the rut of comparison, who by comparison have restricted their own calling, they will begin to be judgmental of you running your own race because they think they're still called to run your race. Therefore, just because others are not for you, you still be you, boo. You still do you. Let me say this. Hold on, hold on. If you find yourself being threatened by somebody else's unique giftedness, the problem's with you. 
because you're trying to run their race. You're trying to have their gift. And God's saying, no, 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 my son or daughter. I have created you uniquely to be you. And no one else can run your race. No one else can fulfill your calling. No one else can embrace your purpose. A healthy posture is when we cheer on each other's gifting. When somebody else succeeds, come on. Go. Because you are being you. He then asks Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses says a staff. And here's why that's important. Because a staff was the, uh, was the, the tool of the occupation of a shepherd. And see, God was reminding him of how he was already uniquely gifted. Because now God was calling him to no longer shepherd sheep, but shepherd his people. And he's saying, Moses, what you don't realize, I've actually already been preparing you for this. You thought you were on the backside of a desert filling a hole for your father-in-law. But no, no, my son, I was equipping you. I was training you when no one else saw it. You were refining a gift that now I'm going to give a platform to. This is a word for somebody. You feel like you were in a season where no one else sees you. You're overlooked at work. You're overlooked at home. You're overlooked at school. May I encourage you, God in heaven, the word for you is you are not overlooked you are in a season of training and development that he is helping you to develop a gift in you that one day he will have you exercise in front of others Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12 7 to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good This refers to that God has given you unique gifts and talents. It's for the common good. It's to bless others. It's to serve humanity. Here's my hope today is to, to, from God's word, inspire you to begin to do some introspection with the Lord on how has he uniquely gifted you. And here's what I believe personally is that you often need, in fact, I think scripturally we see this, you need others to help you discover how God has gifted you. Here's a question I would ask for you to pose to those close to you, maybe a close coworker, friend, spouse, um, someone maybe here at the church, is ask them, what am I really good at? Like, what do you see in my life when I do this? Like, someone who's seen you work, someone who's seen you, you know, just, just operating, like, what do you see that I'm really good at, I'm great at? Here's another question to ask yourself. What do I find that comes natural and easy to me? Here's what I found personally in helping people identify their gifting. Usually, it becomes it's so natural to them, they don't see it. Like, I've seen people, like, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's someone in my life who, she's a gifted leader. She does not see her gift of leadership because it comes so natural to her. She naturally develops people, naturally leads there oftentimes you need someone to help you kind of discover, like, what, what has God given me? Here's the last question to ask yourself is, what is it that when I do it, I feel like something inside of me comes alive? Like, you know, you, you'll talk to somebody who teaches, and they're like, man, when I teach, I just come alive. This week I was having a conversation with a musician. He was telling me uh, this past week he was playing with a friend of his, And he says, man, when I was playing, I was coming alive. Something on the inside of me 
Why? It's because it's how God had created him. God has uniquely gifted you. God has uniquely gifted us. Here's point number two. Is our gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he has Moses then throw the staff on the ground. Now, upon first reading, it doesn't seem that significant, but it actually is. Because what he was asking Moses in this moment is, Moses, are you willing to lay down where you are, your current position, for the sake of embracing my calling? And here's what I found. There will come a time in your life where you will be called to lay down your will to embrace God's will. It's what Jesus said in the garden. He was praying to the Father, Father, just let your will be done. It's the prayer of God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Not my will, your will. I was reminded back when I was, I was transitioning. So I had moved from being a psychologist to move into church work, be a pastoral ministry. And when, I remember when I first got an invitation to come into a position on a church staff, I first had a little bit of a hard time with it. I'll share why. Um, because... I enjoyed being a psychologist, and um, I don't know if you know this, but culturally speaking, typically psychologists are well-respected. Um, I'd, I'd be in a grocery store, and someone would be like, oh, so what do you do for a living? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a psychologist. They're like, oh, okay. And I'm at a party, and people are impressed. Then they're trying to get free therapy, and I said, get away from me. Um, <laughs> if you have mental health professionals as friends, just go get a counselor, okay? Let them be your friend. So anyways, they're well-respected in culture. And I don't know if you know this, but pastors are not necessarily well-respected in our culture. <laughs> Even Christians avoid pastors. Come on, somebody. Some of you avoid me. That's okay. I still love you. So I'm like, God, you're calling me from a well-respected position that I went to school for eight years for, that I got three credentials in, and you're calling me to be a pastor? Even Christians don't like pastors. I struggle. Can I tell you, though? I have never not one day regretted laying down what I wanted for what God wanted. Because can I tell you? A day in God's will is far better than the best days in your own will. When you say, God, I'm willing to lay down my comforts, my positions, my power, my salary, my influence for the sake of your will to be done, for your kingdom to come. Oh, church, one day in the will of God is better than any day under anybody else's will. But you might have to lay down some comfort. You might have to lay down the comfort of a position that you're familiar with to embrace what God's calling you to. You might have to lay down the comfort of a consistent and secure salary to embrace the business God's calling you into. You may have to lay down your expectations of what you thought life would look like. I'm about to help somebody else out. Write this down. You may have to lay down someone else's expectations, i.e. mom and dad, to embrace what God's calling you to. Lay down cultural expectations to embrace what God's calling you to. He was, he was challenging Moses Moses, are you willing to lay down what you have? Let me just say this. You cannot embrace God's will for your life if you're still holding on to your own will. And the reason you, you feel a tension, like why am, I don't feel like I'm walking in God's will, you have to let go of something before you can take hold of his thing. 
And we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't have our will and God's will too. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So he said, God, you're Lord of my life. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. And here's what happens next. It turns into a snake. God turns it into a snake. Now, why, why, again, first reading might not think much significance of this, but a snake was symbolic for evil and Satan. Um, to give context, so, so it doesn't mean that we're to handle snakes. Come on, somebody. If you go into a church and they're handling snakes, that's poor exegesis of Scripture. Run, okay? Symbol. <laughs> it's a symbol of evil. So in this moment, here's what God's, God's showing Moses. Moses, if you will trust me with your gift, my spirit will empower your gift. And I will do things that you cannot do on your best day. Listen, your gift in your hands is effective. Your gift in God's hand is powerful. Your gift in your hands can help people. Your gift in God's hands push back the works of the devil. When you, put, when you say, God, I'm putting my gift in your hands. God, I'm trusting my life into your hands. And the spirit of God in Hebrew means ruach. It means the breath of God. He breathes on it. And all of a sudden, what was effective in your hands now becomes powerful in God's hands. And he's reminding Moses, Moses, my spirit empowers this gift now. You've entrusted it to me. And I have given you all authority. It's as Christ said in Luke 10, I have given you all authority over the power of the enemy. Can I tell you this? When you exercise the gifts that God's given you for his will and, and for his glory... And when you do so, he has actually given you power over the enemy. Therefore, even when you're exercising your gifts, you're pushing back the forces of darkness. You are advancing the kingdom of God on earth. When you exercise the unique giftedness that God has created you to exercise. Again, that is why the enemy wants you to compare yourselves with other people and wish you had another gift. He wants you to wish you were more eloquent like that coworker. He wish you were better with people like that one coworker. He wish you could research better like that one co-worker so you neglect the gift that God has given you because he knows when you do you boo it's dangerous to the kingdom of darkness so he's reminding him there's power in your gift also he he he, he went he turned the Nile River from water to blood back to water here's why that's significant the Egyptians believed that water was divine and God's just reminding him, hey, Moses, I am Lord over all. That I, I, I am, that, that they believed water was a little G God. He was reminding Moses, Moses, I am with you and I am God over all. Then what happens next is he tells Moses to put his hand in his cloak and pull it back out. And he's got leprosy. Now, here's why it's significant. Because... Um, in, in Egypt, skin ailments were very common. Um, part of it was the climate in Egypt. It, it, it just was, it, it led to where skin ailments, rashes, many skin diseases were very common. Leprosy was a fear for a natural Egyptian. If you had leprosy, you were sort of outcasted. So in this moment, God reminds Moses, I'm empowering you that I have the power to heal their diseases. I have the power to meet their deepest needs. And can I tell you, God's spirit empowers you with his gifts. The purpose is to meet other people's needs. 
God doesn't gift us to build our platforms. God doesn't gift us to build our TikTok following. God doesn't gift us to build, just build wealth. God has gifted you to serve humanity. That we are the body of Christ. So he gifts you. He gifted you with that administrative gift. Come on. Anybody else, you appreciate those who organize your life? Come on, somebody. God bless administrative people. Come on. He gifts you with that leadership gift because we all have felt cared for by a good leader. He gifts you with that gift of creativity because we've all been all inspired by the beauty of somebody else's creativity. Why? Because it reflects the creative nature of our God. Are you following me, church? Like he has empowered you. He has gifted you to meet other people's needs. First Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That word gift in the Greek, it translates charis. It means grace. Uh, the definition of it means a divine enablement or empowerment. It means God has gifted you. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit with certain gifts. And that when you exercise that gift, it communicates the very grace of God. It communicates the love of God when you exercise that gift, which is why exercising your gifts are so important. In fact, there's a, there's a clip in the movie Elf where he has this gift to be able to decorate well. Probably he honed it on the North Pole, my presumption. And he's working for this, this department store, uh, and he, he decorates this store in preparation for the arrival of Santa. And it's a great depiction of when he uses his gift, and it makes people feel loved and inspired. So go ahead and check out this clip. Oh. Kids were awed by his decor, but his manager was threatened. I'm going to go back to not everyone will be for you when you begin to do you when you begin to embrace your gift, because some people think they're called to run your race, but it will inspire others, it will serve others, it will help others to feel loved. So here's my question for you. The Bible says to each person God's given a gift. So I hope I know the first point, those questions can help you process, what is my gift? And again, I said this earlier, but next steps, it happens right after this service. You'll take a spiritual gifts assessment to help you discover some of those unique gifts God's given you. But then you're called to use those gifts to serve humanity. And, and I would ask you this. It's how has God uniquely gifted you to serve others? And ask that in the different contexts you find yourself in, in your workplace. Like the gifts God's given me, how can I better use my gifts to serve those at work? And maybe even outside of work. I remember years ago, there was a, um, a lawyer going to a church I was a part of. And there was a homeless shelter right on the corner from our church. And they kind of reached out to the center and said, hey, is there any, do you have any need for any legal service? And he provided pro bono, like, as a service to, it was a women's shelter, to the women, the mothers, and children at that shelter by providing legal counsel to the women there as they navigated the legal system. Uh, there was somebody else who he was a wealth manager. He was just naturally, he saw things in numbers. He just knew numbers really well. So he, he used that gifting in his church. He actually helped others, gave free counsel to put a budget together, pay off debt, uh, save for retirement, for kids, college funds. He helped to exercise that gift. Somebody here at Catalyst years ago, she came through our next steps and she had the gift of mercy. And she felt affirmed because 
she is a nurse, she was a nurse at Walter Reed, uh, which how many know you want, a, you want a nurse that has mercy? Come on. Thank God for all the nurses. And then she served in kids. And how many of you know you need a lot of mercy to serve in our kids' ministry? And, and she leveraged those gifts to serve others. So my question for you is this. Is how has God uniquely gifted you to meet people's needs around you? So you are uniquely gifted. Your gifts are empowered by the Spirit. Here's the fat, fat, final and last point. Is that our giftedness requires dependence on God. You know, I, I love this moment of Moses because, let me just give context. Let's, let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes, okay? So God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Pretty remarkable, right? I mean, that would probably leave an impression on my life. And then, not only that, but he's got the staff and he throws the staff. So God's talking to him through a bush. He throws the staff on the ground. The staff turns into a snake back to a staff. That's remarkable. Uh, then he turns water into blood back into water. Remarkable. And then he puts leprosy on his hand and then heals his hand. Remarkable. But even though Moses saw these miracles, this move of God, he still says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Most scholars conclude Moses was communicating that he stammered or stuttered. So you would think if you're Moses... Like the Lord is speaking to you through a burning bush. Don't you think he can speak for you? Anybody else encouraged by that? You know, it's like, okay, if you ever like had a doubt with God, like Moses was doubting. Like, okay, God, I know you can speak through a bush. I know you can turn a staff into a snake, but I don't think you can help me with my stuttering tongue. And, and let me say this. I think Moses, what was coming across as humility I think was actually false humility, cloaking real fear. I think he was fearful of actually what was going to happen if he showed up and God did not do what he told him he would do. Moses got distracted. That Moses began fearful again. Oh, what, 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 if, what if God does not do what he says he's going to do? And I love what God responds to him and says, well, who gave human beings their mouths? <laughs> Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach what you say. He combats Moses' fears with the truth. Can I tell you, here's how you combat fear in your life. Is you continue to lean into the word of God and the voice of God. The Bible says we have the power to demolish strongholds, the lies of the enemy. Can I tell you, the enemy wants to get us paralyzed in fear so we don't move forward into our future. And God's voice imparts faith. The Bible says it's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're full of fear, it means you're not hearing his word. Now, again, fear is real. And the enemy will try to get you paralyzed by fear. But here, God renews Moses' mind, saying, Moses, don't you doubt for a second. I created that mouth of yours. I am asking you to use what I gave you. Don't you think I'm going to help you to speak? See, God calls Moses to do something he felt unqualified for. 
God called Moses to do something he felt unable to do. Moses felt God was calling him to do something that he did not have the right skill set to accomplish. And may I submit a thought to you that I think very often with the Lord that he will ask you to do things that you do not feel qualified to do. He will ask you to do things that you do not feel skilled to do. He will ask you to do things beyond your ability and beyond your capacity. I call this the God gap. Here's why. Because it's actually in those moments that we step into what God's calling us to do, into our own inability, into our own insufficiency, that we realize that God is more than sufficient. That we realize that God is more than able. In fact, Paul said this. He wrote this. This is what the Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, my grace is all you need, God says. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, Paul says. So the power of Christ may work through me. You know, here's the power of the gap, too. If you ever felt maybe you, you felt called to write that book, but you're not great at grammar or syntax. You felt called to launch that business, but you're like, God, I don't have the right education and degree. You felt called to go into that position, but you don't feel like you had the right background. You felt called to have that family, but you didn't feel like you were raised in a healthy enough one to have a healthy family. Can I tell you, I believe why God, look at scripture, loves to call us into things that we're not fully equipped or feel equipped for or feel able to do. Because when there's the God gap, even if others do not know it, when you step into it, you know it that if it was not for the grace of God, you could not do it. And when you have the God gap in your life and you step into what God's calling you to do, even though you know in and of yourself you're not able to do it, you know that if it was not for the grace of God, you would not be where you be. And here's why I believe God loves the God gap, because the God gap in your life, it keeps you both grateful and humble. Because you know if it was not for the grace of God, you couldn't have the marriage you had. If it was not for the grace of God, your business could not be successful as it is. If it was not for the grace of God, you could not have had the job that you are in. Look throughout scripture. Watch this. God called Moses a stutterer to lead the people of Israel out of slavery into freedom. God called David on the backside of a, of, of a field with sheep to now be a shepherd of his people. God called Esther, a Hebrew, to be a queen of Persia. God called Paul, skilled in the Mosaic law, to reach the Gentiles. And God called an uneducated, hot-tempered man, fisherman, named Peter, to reach the Jews. God is all about calling you to do things that you are unable to do because it's in your weakness, his power is perfected. In your insufficiency, his sufficiency is realized. And then that keeps you in a posture of being grateful and humble because you know I am where I am for the grace of God. What is that God got for you? What's God calling you to do? God, I don't, feel, I don't feel able to do this. And he said, that's right, child. It's because it's in your weakness my power is perfected. It's not in your strength. It's not in your greatness. It's not in your ability. It's not in your skill set. It's not because of your education. 
It's not because of your network. God loves to take you places that are inexplicable to the natural mind. God loves to take you places when people see your life, they're like, how did he get there? How did she get there? And you know, but for the grace of God. Moses was a misfit. He was a Hebrew raised by Egyptians. Buddy the elf was a misfit. He was a human raised by elves. And maybe you have felt in different times of your life a misfit. You don't fully fit in because you were not called to fit in. You were called to be uniquely you. There is only one you. There's no mold God had. Listen, God is not an imitator. He's an innovator. So he, he doesn't have like one mold and he's like rinse and repeat. No, he, he uniquely created you to be on earth today for this time, for his purpose. You are uniquely gifted. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are to be dependent on him. And in the same way as Buddy the Elf and, 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 and he, he engaged his uniqueness, it lifted the Christmas spirit. In the same way as Moses stepped into his uniqueness and he led the people out of slavery into freedom. Can I tell you, as you embrace your uniqueness, I believe you will fulfill God's unique purpose for you. Can you bow your heads and me, church?